Did you notice the sign on the front of my house that said dead African American storage? Did you notice the sign in the front of my house that said dead African American storage? No. You know why you didn't see that sign? Because storing dead African Americans ain't Mike Rudy Tootin' business. Politically correct? Never. Welcome to Vanguard Radio. Go VNN. No Jews. Just right. We are dead. We are dead. You are the dead. Remain exactly where you are. Make no move until you are ordered. Now they can see us. Now we can see you. Clasp your hands behind your heads. Stand out in the middle of the room. Stand back to back. Do not touch one another. Surrounded. The house is surrounded. Because we may as well say goodbye. We may as well say goodbye. While we're on the subject, here comes a candle to light you to bed. Here comes a chopper to chop off your head. Welcome to Goyfire. Tonight we'll be covering the killing of Trenadu by the FBI. We'll be investigating the TNB Freakathon, which is taking place in the U.S. due to the hot weather. We've got at least four or five separate instances of TNB. We've got also the hate model that was uh, recently making rounds uh, in the FBI. Uh, and we want to spend some more time talking about that. So, returning to our top story, four months after the death of Utah lawyer Jesse C. Trenadu's brother, deemed a suicide by government officials, says an anonymous phone caller told him that his brother had been killed by the FBI during an interrogation. The caller said the agency mistook him for a member of the Midwest Robbery Gang, a white supremacist organization, sick, that had been the subject of a pre-bombing agency investigation. Jane, Alex, uh, I know both of you have been covering this story quite closely. What facts do we have and uh, what's your take on this case? Well, what we have is a uh, guy who was killed. This guy's name was uh, Kenneth Michael Trentadu, and he was a bank robber who remade his life. He served seven years of a 20-year sentence, got out, picked up on a parole violation, and stuck in a transfer center, a big federal transfer center in Oklahoma. And, you know, he thought, okay, he made a little screw-up. He's going to get out in a few months, go back to living his reformed life with his, you know, two-month-old son and his uh, and his wife, and uh, boom, he's locked in an isolation cell, and the FBI or agents operating at the FBI's behest come in and torture the living hell out of him and uh, kill him. And then they try to cover it up as a suicide. And the only reason we know this is his family has fought it for 10 years, and his brother's an attorney in Salt Lake, and our own chain uh, makes VNN's initial foray into first-hand reporting by a uh, Talking to Mr. Trenadu, Mr. Jesse Trenadu, a, a lawyer in Salt Lake City, his brother was murdered by the FBI. And you may have already heard that by the time you're listening to this. This is quite a heavy claim to say that the FBI uh, murdered a man. Uh, what evidence do we have uh, to date on this case? Well, they tried to claim he committed suicide. Now, the architect who designed the cell in which he perished claimed that the cell was suicide-proof. The guy was not at all su- suicidal, according to his family. Now, after they called up the family and said, uh, your son is dead, I think they called his mother and his sister, and they, they said that they would pay for a cremation, and they wanted to get it done suspiciously quickly. So the family said, no, we'd like to see the body. We don't believe he was suicidal. Well, they get the body back, and it's covered in, in uh, I don't know what you call it, but the makeup that you put on a dead person. Well, they scrape it all up, and lo and behold, the guy is covered from stem to stern with uh, really nasty bruises and uh He's been prodded, and chunks of his uh, his hair and, and are missing, and you know he he obviously had the hell beat out of him. The point here is that apparently Jesse Trinity received a call or received a communication from uh, Timothy McVeigh before he was uh, put to sleep, saying that he thought that this guy, who was a spitting image of uh, another guy, and that they, the feds had mistaken him for a guy named Guthrie who was involved. The basic point here is that the feds murdered this guy because they were afraid that some details were going to come out relating to the Oklahoma City bombing. There's a whole cell of people responsible for the for the bombing, and 
the SPLC and the FBI had informants who were tracking this, and in fact, these informants provided the date and the location of the bombing, yet the government did nothing about it. This is the secret story of Oklahoma City. This is what they don't want getting out there. What they want to do is blame McVeigh, and McVeigh was guilty. But McVeigh was only one of a large team of men, including at least two informants. And apparently this Trenadu, uh, he had been a bank robber, and he may have been involved with uh, the so-called Midwestern Bank Robbery Gang or the, the Aryan Republican Army, or he and, and been threatening to write a book, or he may simply have, uh, apparently he was a look-alike with this Guthrie, who was, uh, I think, one of the people that McVeigh was involved with and killed for that reason because they later went on and killed Guthrie, too, a few months later. The important thing is here, Chain actually spoke with uh, Mr. Trenadu, who's pursued this for over 10 years. He's been trying through freedom of information to get information out of the FBI about why his brother was murdered, or if he was murdered, or any kind of connection to what actually went on. The FBI has completely stonewalled the whole time. But uh, a sympathetic judge forced him to go back and look, and probably this whole thing would have died, except that he received these communications from, uh, maybe Chain can tell us where he got them from, but... He received a couple of teletypes sent out by Louis Free, who's uh, the Jew who headed up uh, the Department of Justice and the FBI under Clinton. And one of them mentions the SPLC, and they mentioned two informants. These teletypes mentioned two informants. Well, with this, he goes back to the judge and forces the FBI to go back and research its files and try to come up with the documentation it's been claiming all these 10 years that it hasn't had. Well, this week, the reason we talk about it this week is that the judge has issued an order basically saying that the FBI is operating in bad faith and demanding they produce all their documentation that they claim they didn't have by June 15th. The FBI is still trying to stonewall, and they're still trying to limit the scope of the investigation, but by their own admission, they've got some 300-plus documents that uh, bear on this trend and the, the Oklahoma City bombing. So the bottom line here, before Chain gets into the specifics, is that the government is very deeply involved in the Oklahoma City bombing. It definitively had prior knowledge of this based on the informant Carolyn Howe and possibly other informants such as Andreas Strassmeyer, and the SBLC is involved here. Uh, you know, SBLC and other groups, these are indoctrinating the FBI, and they're calling us haters, and they're sicking the federal law agency on us when they knew that the Oklahoma City uh, Murrah building was going to be blown up. And this is really a radical revelation that the media has conspired with the SBLC and the government to hide from the people. And they don't want to hear anything about this. I but, looked uh, at the Google News, and there are just over 30 articles about it, even after the uh, eminent columnist Paul Craig Roberts picked up J.D. Cash's original story about attorney Jesse Trentendue. So, Which is again, that the most recent round of this is, is World Net Daily the, published a story based on this judge. And what they're saying is that the, the uh, Southern Poverty Law Center and the FBI conducted a joint sting operation. Now, it's pretty dangerous when quasi-Jewish organizations in this country begin to function with the FBI, exchanging information in a two-way flow, and moreover, allowing serious terrorist incidents to occur. In this case, as you said, uh, the allegation is, is that Oklahoma City bombing would not have occurred had the joint Southern Poverty Law Center and FBI agent that's what they're calling this unknown person. Whether it's Straussmeyer, we don't know. Well, there Precisely. are at least two of them. At least two yes. of them. And one of them, curiously enough, what was said to have been involved with the Midwest bank robbery gang, also known as the Aryan Republican Army, as you said. Now, imagine if a federal government has an informant who's either has knowledge of the travelings and the, and, and, and the hideouts of a major bank robbery gang, they used to wear, by the way, Bill Clinton masks and uh, I believe Richard Nixon rubber masks. They were quite famous. And McVeigh, McVeigh's sister, said, yes, Tim McVeigh was into this gang. Now, if the federal government all this time had an informant going around robbing banks or, I don't know, who knows what, driving the getaway car or waiting at home with, with a hot meal when they come back, I don't know. No one knows. And the FBA is not saying, and neither is Southern Poverty Law Center. But it's just almost fantastical to the comprehension because this marks a point, to my mind, at which the 60% white population of this country who have begun to react to the invasion of this country by immigration laws, which we don't really agree with most people, they're reacting to this and as a result of that, we're being targeted by 
non-government orgs, and our own law enforcement at the very highest levels. You know, in 2003, President Bush said that all terrorism issues would heretofore be under the CIA. And I'm still trying to determine right now if technically the FBI, for terrorism purposes, is under the CIA or what. But they did issue a, a memo in uh, Phoenix, and they said that people who show an undue interest in the United States Constitution should be <laughs> kept an eye on by the FBI because such people might lean to terrorism or be a terrorism suspect. Also, white nationalists should be. So yeah, if you be, believe yourself to be a white nationalist, you're ipso facto a, a terrorist candidate. Well, the the real story here, at least the story that strikes me, um, is that you know the, we have a, a you know a terrorist incident or a, a building that gets blown up. The FBI swoops down on a on a guy, tortures him, kills him. Claims it's a suicide. Yeah, basically does everything it can in its power to to deny the fact. That's not a terrorist incident. What is? Kenneth Trenton do and his brother, their part in it is to discover this this whole thing. Attorney Jesse Trenton do out of Utah discovered it. Now that their family, by the way, is originally from I believe it's McDowell County in southern West Virginia, which is a very hard scrabble place in the United States. It's where I think the Hatfields and the McCoys originated, or uh, if not them, that area is quintessentially American. Then they moved to California in 1961. Jesse took a radically different uh, course in life than, than Kenneth did, but Kenneth was actually in Mexico and driving a 1986 Chevy truck, which was the same model of truck which supposedly John Doe Number 2 in Oklahoma City had been driving. So he was in Mexico with a Mexican woman and, and I guess had a child about two months old. And he came back to the United States. He had a false piece of ID and uh, under his alias. And uh, they got him, and they put him in a California prison. Well, they flew him three days before his, his murder. They flew him from the California prison to this $80 million facility in Oklahoma City. And some of you may have seen these. They may have them in your cities, but they're just real Taj Mahal. It's what the federal government builds now. You know, they have these, uh, looks like, 8- or 12-inch window, uh, wide windows uh, at best. And they're often high-rises. Uh, you know, they just soar sometimes 20 stories or so. They're very dramatic. I'm not sure the one in uh, Oklahoma City is a high-rise. I've seen them in other cities, and they are. And, and they like to locate them right by airports. Anyway, uh, he was flown by private jet, I guess, a Learjet, a jet, DOJ, because they thought he had some information about Tim McVeigh. And uh, he died three days later. It just remains to be seen what his part is. We don't know for sure if he was in the gang. Jesse said he was not. He had been convicted for bank robberies prior to that. The other thing that... Um, they claim this is, he does have a tattoo on his arm with, with a dragon or a serpent of some type. And when McVeigh rented the rider truck, the fellow who rented it said that John Doe Number 2 had a dragon on his arm. Uh, and the tail was sticking out under the shirt sleeve. But, but again, yeah. the crucial thing is not just that the, they knew that OKC was, gonna, what was going to go on. That's very important, yes. But it's also... This is spun off into real time uh, here, here 10 years later to where private organizations, Jewish-funded and, and, and Jewish-championed and Jewish-kvetched, are essentially spying on white people in our own country, all the while pretending, oh, yes, we're white people, too. Uh, we're just not the radicals you are. Yeah, that's, uh, In fact, all a lot of whites want to do is, you know, we just want this crime all around us to stop. We want our kids to be able to go to school, and, and, and all of our young people, that they should get entries into school and not be denied. Just very normal things. And uh, these are represented as being hate and, and outside the norm, divisive, in our own country, in our own land. And uh, uh, you've been contacted yourself by the, uh, the FBI recently. As yeah. you listening, this may or may not have heard by the time this is taped. I think it will probably be up before you hear this, but uh, it bears going into a little uh, discussing that. Yeah, um, with, with any luck, we're, we're going to continue. Lance said he's going to call back, so maybe we'll have the Lance Loudly show on VNN. Yeah. <laughs> what, did, what did the FBI want to contact you about? Uh, apparently, what he told me, Alex, is uh, he's told me several times, you, you your name keeps coming up, and, and I'm thinking, why? You know, I, I, look, I'm a working class guy. I, I did come from a kind of a privileged background. I, I was lucky. I grew up upper middle class, but uh, I've been a working class guy all my life. I've poured steel. I've, uh, I've been a janitor. I've worked in bars. I've, I, you know, a lot of things like that. Uh, just real working class construction. I don't have any felonies, but their complaint with me is essentially that uh, I, I put things online. I talk about things. 
And he says, my name keeps coming up. And I said, what do you mean, Lance? And he said, well, SPLC. And, you know, so the long and the short, what he's telling me is SPLC he, is complaining about He actually about said UCF. SPLC. Yeah, he did. He I actually said. Mean. Yes. How about that? Yeah. And the people uh, who had an informant at, at Elohim City, apparently, or uh, and or elsewhere, who knew that this bomb was going to go off that killed 168 million people, they are the ones feeding information to the FBI about guys like you who are simply posting information online? Yeah, that's right. Is that how it is? Mm-hmm. That's how it is. So you better get used to it, white people. It's not going to get any better. Well, on that note, perhaps we should turn to our TNB Freakathon, which uh, is short for Typical Nigger Behavior, which is uh, running rampant across these United States. King Kong climbs crane in Atlanta. Carl Edward Rowland, 41, was taken into custody after more than two days of negotiators' round-the-clock efforts to convince him to come down. Roland, at 12.31 a.m. Saturday, Roland decided to accept an offer of water from an investigator. Roland slowly edged over to where police negotiators were perched, and they quickly tackled, tasered, and handcuffed him before taking him into custody. Yes, has anyone else been following this story? He was uh, nesting. Apparently, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Maybe he thought he saw a banana. I don't know. Right now, he it's claimed grape leaves to sleep on. They like to climb. It's, it's a genetic thing. <laughs> They're arboreal. <laughs> I wonder if Jane Goodall um, noticed similar behavior in the bush of Africa. Didn't she get murdered over there? <laughs> Not yet. She's been raped oh, a couple times. Over. This story. He he was a murderer, and I guess he he stopped all the business in the area, and and he was a kind of a spectator sport there with the Atlanteans. And uh, I'm sure within a few years, it's probably occurred already. Whites are really fleeing from Atlanta the same way they did from Detroit, and Philadelphia, and and California. You name it. I don't know. He's kind of a run-of-the-mill uh, Negro murderer, but he had a flair for the dramatic. It's too bad he didn't have the courage to do himself in. But. Yeah, they, uh, you know, that this is where the Brian Nichols thing took place. Yeah, I was researching on that and uh, posted something on that. But, uh, you know, there you've got someone who had a middle-class background from a stable family with two parents. And his brother said, you know, the last place he'd been employed, he was making six figures, and he uh, he went to church regularly. And yet he still winds up going nuts and you know, overpowering a guard and killing a bunch of people. And it uh, kind of makes you start wondering how much is uh, genetic versus cultural. It ought to make you wonder if you believe that it were primarily cultural. And this guy's had all the advantages in the world. But it's interesting. Everybody, most of the commentators, the conservative commentators, went off on Nichols because they used their intelligence to figure out that it's unwise to have a 51-year-old grandmother covering a guy of practically NFL-level physical ability and strength and yeah that's true but uh, apparently what i read in the uh, in the truth at last was that he was basically a kept coon he was kept by a, a woman who was an executive at uh, equifax down there in atlanta and she kept him in a really nice condo with a bmw for about seven years and then she found out or he admitted i guess that he had been buying a bunch of prostitutes and had gotten at least one woman pregnant so she kicked him out and apparently that was somewhat of what set him off originally because he came back he duct taped her wrist and he uh, tied her up and he uh, raped and sodomized her for three straight days. And that got him uh, got him a trial. It didn't get him convicted, though. The jury ended up deadlocked in the first trial, and he was going to trial for the second time uh, when he overpowered the guard and, and uh, went for it, uh, made, made his run. But all you see on the Internet is, you know, these, these crazy Christians, this wonderful woman talked him out of killing any more people. They don't seem Alex, to see the illogic there. Some people had written that, you know, his triple triple murder, wasn't it? It occurred at the same no. time, essentially. At least quadruple as, uh, murder, I think. Was it? Yeah, at the so. same time as Bart Ross's, uh, uh, just just after that, you know, in the time yeah. span. And the media was talking all the time about uh, Matt Hale and Bart Ross and everything. And uh, they said, look, this guy got inspired by this. He saw this constantly on the television, uh, you know, how he's being shuffled around or antechambers of the police uh, going back and forth to court and such. And they said that that's why they think he got the idea. And uh, I really do believe, again, that the FBI essentially got this going with Tony Evola. And uh, uh, there wouldn't have been any trouble if they wouldn't have injected Tony Evola into the mix in the first place. But, again, that maybe this is the... Uh, the new organization, uh, FBI, SPLC agency, that uh, 
inspires these things by constantly complaining. Well, they deny us the categories and the terms we need to understand reality, and they force on us this vision of an anti-world that profits their organizations immensely and is extremely damaging to the rest of us. For How example, much money does SPLC have now, do you know? Oh, the SPLC, I believe, has a uh, foundation, you know, it's like a college level. I mean, they have probably $120 million in the bank. That much? They're up to that? I thought last I heard it was $67 million. I thought they were $120 million a couple of years ago. I don't know. At the, at the least, it's tens of millions, and it may well be uh, in the hundreds of millions. And the, these are no good people. These are basically criminals and terrorists who work for them. Even if they're not overtly physical terrorists, the result of their work is to loose terrorists like Nichols. Uh, but, uh, but verbally, yes, they call... This is what's so utterly hypocritical now. Uh, like I hope many of you by this point, I've heard Chain's remarkable uh, taped interview with the FBI, a guy who's calling him. Why is this guy calling him? You know, uh, Well, the only substantial thing I heard listening to it was, well, why are you putting the, this picture up there, Lefka? Why, do you, why are you putting the picture up there? You know, did, do you think that this FBI agent, this blue flamer, Lance, do you think he's calling the Washington Post and asking them why they use pictures when they print their newspaper? I doubt it. You know, who's you telling know, him that we're the bad guys? He says, he says, well, we're not going to oppress you because of what you believe. We're just worried about behavior that might lead to problems. And But what they do doesn't show that. What they do shows you that the, well, you don't call people up like that unless you're trying to intimidate them. I didn't hear any specific questions from him other than that. And that's perfectly legal behavior. And if they're going to start asking you about why are you putting this up, well, that's not your business, why he's doing what he's doing, as long as it's legal. Well, it is. You know, it's the SPLC, so therefore, by logical extension, it's the FBI's business, you see. And these, these SPLC clowns are given free reign to call us haters. Now, I guarantee you, any story touching on white nationalism will have one of about five so-called experts on hate quoted. And it will only be one of those five, and there will always be one of them quoted. And, uh, boy, if you think there's a free media, you've got to ask yourself, how come there's only basically one source, and it always takes the same line, and nobody who takes a counter line is ever presented as an equal? They regularly try to suggest that whites are guilty for crimes that ultimately turn out to have been committed by the coloreds that they champion. They're ugly, skinny, and hypocritical to yeah. food, and I can go on. Aegis, that, 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 this fellow on the crane was down in Florida, and, you know, Florida's chock full of Jews. And In fact, uh, I remember when they found that so many of them were registered to vote, uh, the number of people who are registered in New York City and also registered in Miami, it was in something like 43,000 people, double registered to vote. Well, those are Jews, people. Anyway, uh, to get back to it, down in Florida, there was this Dr. Robert J. Goldstein, and he was a podiatrist, uh, and he was a terrorist, and he was caught with a shoulder-usable rocket launcher. He had uh, some machine guns, a number of other, other things. Anyway, uh, a fine Dr. Robert J. Goldstein ended up getting 12 years and 7 months. And then there was in uh, Israel the, uh, another Dr. Goldstein, Dr. Baruch Goldstein. I think he killed around 32 people who were praying in a mosque, including children. He machine-gunned them. Well, he was a Chabad Lubavitcher. And uh, on VNN Forum right now, we have uh, the National Institute for Judaic, uh, uh, Judaic Law and uh, links about Shabbat, uh, Shabbat Lubavitchers. And these are uh, Orthodox Jews, and a lot of them are very highly connected in the United States government. And as a matter of fact, they even hobnob with pork eater uh, uh, George Bush. So why isn't the SPLC after the Shabbat Lubavitchers? You know, these people believe yeah, in have, uh, Yeah, they, uh, there's a complete double standard. I mean, they're posting, they posted pictures of me and 39 other people. They call them, you know, yeah. the haters to watch or whatever. But basically they're targeting us for verbal and uh, potentially physical abuse, one must assume, given their, their association with people who do commit real physical violence, such as the ARA and the JDL. Now, uh, the FBI is not calling these people up and asking them what they asked Chain. You know, Chain's posting a picture of somebody. We're, we're posting pictures of people that we're talking about in the news. Clear attempt <laughs> to intimidate, calling someone, asking them why they're doing something perfectly rational, legal, and uh, really unavoidable. And there's a complete double standard, and these, these clowns who uh, work for the FBI a lot of them are basically one-eyed accountants or four-string linebackers, and they like getting paid, and they don't really know too much. And, you know, the, the government tells them who the bad guys are, and they go out after them. And they know that they're protected. And uh, that's what makes them a danger to all civil society. 
at this point. How come Dr. Robert J. Goldstein of Florida, the Jew, gets 12 years and seven months, and they put him in a hospital that has an elaborate mental health wing, by the way, uh, for having a rocket launcher and machine guns and an explicit written-out, mapped, uh, architected terrorist plan against Muslims, and Matt Hale whispers in somebody's ear a very dubious uh, uh, statement, and he's doing 40 years. So Matt Hale, should, what, that means he should have three, three rocket launchers and four yeah. years left over? There's one standard for Jews, and there's another standard for everybody else. Yep. And this guy, Lance, who called you is just a running dog for the kikes. I want to emphasize, too, uh, Michael Chertoff, who's our head of Homeland Security, uh, it was just leaked by two weeks ago. We've stated this before, I believe, on Goyfire, but I want to reiterate it's so very important. Chertoff has suggested that the government use money to float, to found a non-governmental org for this specific purpose, to feed back information on private citizens back to law enforcement. Well, apparently they're not happy already with, with, with the incredible work of, of the ADL and the American Jewish Congress, uh, Congress uh, who, who's trying to stop uh, uh, gun ownership in this country, and, uh, and the SPLC. They yet need yet another org to spy on white people. The Jews want to take every means of defending yourself from you. They want you to they want to tape your mouth by getting rid of the First Amendment and pushing across these hate crimes laws like they have throughout Europe to where you can't criticize them or any uh, political classes that they find useful, such as uh, coloreds. And then they also want to take your gun. You know, they, they won't say they won't admit that violent blacks are the problem. They'll say it's oh it's a gun problem. We've got to take the gun from the honest white man. Well that's that's their real mission. They don't give a damn about crime or colors. They care about preventing whites from waking up to what they're doing and defending themselves, whether by word or weapon. Yeah, they're they're, they're very they're very cunning. They're cunning people and you've got what you have is a combination of at least three three or four different factors, but in this case three three players. You've got private spy groups like the ADL and the SPLC that go around finding facts, as the ADL calls, or collecting information and voluminous files on their enemies, and they do this by means fair and foul, and they turn it over then to the uh, the government and encourage them to prosecute people. And meanwhile, their buddies own all the newspapers, so they're always quoted as experts in the press, and their political frames are the only ones that are ever used. And this so, creates so sort of an interlocking, seamless system that we can't escape. The, the point is that there's an agenda that's set that the FBI follows, although there may be individual FBI agents who are honest, and there may be legitimate tasks for the FBI to perform. To a very large degree, the Justice Department is simply a rotten fish, and it's been completely politicized, and it follows the Jewish agenda, and these agents are out there harassing honest white men who are descended from the people who built this country. Yeah, this little brown spick who's the attorney general, his name is Alberto Gonzalez. He, uh, <laughs> he's the author of the Patriot Act, people. And not only that, but just like uh, the Jew Alan Dershowitz, he's proposed torture. And uh, Mamma mia. Uh, so, so, so maybe uh, he just wishes the rules would have been in effect when, when, when Kenneth Trenton dude was murdered. You know, the Israelis are big on torture. They've had British guys in prison there, and, and, and they actually... Uh, have used uh, people's organs who die in prison, you know, strangely yeah, die under odd circumstances in Israeli prisons, and then the organs turned up in, in the uh, bodies of Jews in Israel. Right. Well, speaking of indirect torture, we have another case of TNB. TNB, uh, say it loud. Min yes, in Minnesota. Uh, here we go. This what? Is are you telling me there's niggers in Minnesota? No, we're That's talking horrible. about the... This is the Great Society here. There's another case of how great we've become sitting in back eight teenagers, sick, from 12 to 15, who police identify as members of the Trey Trey Crips street gang. The Crips are yeah. talking... The Crips are talking loudly about other people they've mugged and robbed. Also on board, five other riders minding their own business. Yes, we can imagine how well they were doing that. I can hear them chanting in the back, their gang name saying, white boy, nice watch, nice watch, white boy. They're chanting, or they were chanting, Trey, 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 Trey this. At 34th and Fremont North, the Crips get off and literally drag the 15-year-old with them. And I quote from the victim, we, one grabs my leg, the other grabs my arm, and starts dragging me down the bus. And the bus driver is just sitting there watching them. 
Is this in Minnesota? I thought this was in California when I read it. But yeah, I see Hennepin. Yeah, that's a Minnesota name, isn't it? Yeah, as we can imagine, the bus driver was also of coal complexion. Outside, they punch and kick him in the head and back. They steal his wallet, his watch, and, get this, his yo-yo. So the bus driver didn't do anything until I was already on the ground outside with my face pinned against the ground. Then he finally said, we got you on tape, we got you on tape. Then he closed the doors and drove off. And he says, I was furious and I want to see the video. Metro Transit won't show the father the video or explain why their driver took off. Yeah, yeah. and there's no white civil rights group to go up there and demand the video. And there's no sympathetic network that will play it 500 times a day. Yeah, the head so of the don't even have to miscut it like they did with Rodney King. They just have to show you the run the thing and the whole thing speaks for itself. A nigger's an animal. Yeah, where was Rosa Parks when this went down? Rosa Parks, and let me just interject that Rosa Parks was a communist operative. People don't understand. It's always portrayed in school books like she just all of a sudden rose up. No, she was an activist. The whole thing was planned. Not the particular date on which she did that, but it was a plan that she would refuse to move to the back of the bus. Never now, why hear did whites, that. Why did white society demand that blacks take back the bus? Well, I mean, how unreasonable of them to even consider Why did they let them on the bus? I think that's remarkably liberal. And um, now we've got 15-year-olds uh, getting hauled off the bus by gangs of uh, blacks. Yeah, and this, uh, and this like, like I thought this was in California. No, it's in Minnesota. Middle of the heartland. Eight. Now, there, this th- is what there are something like 30,000 ages MS-13 members in this country, and, of course, they're particularly violent. And, and the United States government claims that they're, they're right on these gangs, but that's actually not the case. Uh, also in Minnesota, you know, they uh, concussion bomb Byron and, and Panzerfaust Records uh, not too long ago, and the head of the gang force there is a guy by the name of Ryan, and uh, he's been nowhere to be seen on this uh, 15-year-old white kid getting beat up. But I don't know. Gangs, for me, is, uh, is, is, is just uh, a code word. It's just like them using rebels or, or governor, government dissidents in Africa. Uh, the gangs, these are tribes. These are groupings of uh, blacks. Yeah, they're, Let me uh, tell you something about the Minnesota gang force. That, that was begun essentially in 1997, and there, there was a, an organization called Minnesota Heels. Oh, that's so loving. Yeah, it worked. And check this out. There's a woman by the name of M. Patricia Hoven, and she was with Honeywell. She was the vice president of social responsibility for Honeywell. And it says here uh, she was also uh, she was in a number of things like the Minneapolis Initiative Against Racism Leadership Board. And uh, now she has uh, something called uh, the TCC Group. It's another one of these NGOs that we've been talking about here all day today on Toy Fire. Yeah, the Minnesota Gang Task Force, it's headed by a fellow by the name of Ryan, and it was begun in 1997 by an organization called Minnesota Heels, which is uh, the Heels stands for Hope, Education, Law, and Safety. And also they involved the Police Executive Research Forum. But uh, And there's a woman by the name of Pat Hove, who was the vice president for social responsibility at the computer company Honeywell. And now she has something called the TCC Group, another one of these NGOs that we've been talking about. An NGO is a non-governmental org. The Coon Club. I'm sorry, I don't mean to inject levity into it very <laughs> No, it's fine. Discussion. I can't find a picture of her, but it does say she's on the Minneapolis Initiative Against Racism Leadership Board. Well, where is oh, Miss Hogan God. now that, uh, that this white kid has had his head pounded against the pavement and yeah. uh, lucky to escape with his life? Where is uh, she? Oh, we don't That's know. It's a rhetorical question. Yeah, we yeah, I, I, re- I refuse to call them gangs. It's more like uh, a pack. Uh, well, you know or, what? Yeah. It is up till January. This Trey 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 Crips was not recognized in the McKinley District of Minneapolis as a gang. They said, "Oh no, no, they've stolen some weapons, but they're not a gang." What I makes them a gang? You have to commit three dozen murders probably before you get official recognition. They, they are organized to some degree. The thing is, they send out shoots from L.A. that are now all over the country, and they love to invade rural areas and start selling yeah. crack, as we'll hear from Craig shortly. Yeah, and um, then, the, 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 they like to grab white girls. And turn yeah. them into to hoes, too. Pip them out. And don't think it can't happen to your daughter, man. She gets a little disaffected with you. You have someone who's naturally rebellious. Parents, and you you, uh, you have an open TV in your house, and uh, she watches the MTV. She'll see that niggers are really cool, and 
Or there's one way to rebel against you is to run off with a nigger, and then when she's hooked on drugs and fucking turning tricks and dead by the time she's 22, you might regret leaving an open TV sewer in your house, and you might regret not yanking her out of public school. The thing that I guess I think a lot of people don't take into account, they see, they see things myopically. They don't take into account change over time. I've heard it said, and I don't know if it's true, but like each black generation is 30% bigger than the one that preceded it. And we know that they only imported, I think, 3 to 4 million blacks to America, and now there's 35 million. So the problem gets bigger and bigger. And that's not counting the Mexicans, who also number 35 million. Now, I've seen in this movie in, in California back in the 70s, and the, and the leader of the gangs is like, there's 10,000 cops, and there's 100,000 of us. Can you dig it? And all the uh, gang members are like, yeah. And... It's kind of a joke, and I forget the name of the movie, but that's a serious point. I mean, there's the gang member numbers greatly outnumber the cops. And well, LA, see, that's it, the thing. I object to the term gang because it's it's more or less like uh, Black Hawk Down. You've just got squalor. You got no black organized. I mean, the, the Crips and the Bloods yeah. are honest to God organized professional gangs. As, as much as the niggers could be professional, they're organized and extremely violent. Yeah, and plenty of these guys are just as muddied as, moneyed as an average middle-class white. And if you don't think they're around you if, you, if you're driving on the freeways of this country back and forth, they're crisscrossing the country every which way. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. they're out there moving their dope. And um, uh, No, I mean, you'll see, like, kids and disorganized stuff that's just kind of half-assing it. But, I mean, the, the trips and the, and the bloods and the Mara Salvatrucas, which is, you know, Salvadoran and maybe a little Mexican, are uh, they're honest-to-God gangs. I mean, they're they're professional you know, murderers and, and drug runners and whatever's illegal to make a profit type guys. But yeah, but there's always, you know, huge generations of uh, fatherless street teamers that just, you know, they have nothing else and they, they team up with that. And uh, blacks have never really formed families, so it's, it's natural. Yeah, it's pack. You can call it a pack or whatever, but a uh, pack mentality. Either yes, whatever you call it, the danger is still the same. Right. From and, the man uh, on the street perspective, at least my personal uh, experiences, it's more or less uh, anarchy and then maybe a spontaneous rent-a-mob that'll, uh, you know, start breaking store windows and stealing things or beat up a, a pedestrian or you name it. I, I've seen very little organization, uh, more uh, tribal lashing out. It's pretty well organized. I mean, it, you're, yeah, there's what you say, definitely. But, I mean, there is genuine professional organization in, in some of those gangs. I mean, they've got high-tech weapons. They're, they're able to. And then the Mexicans, too. I mean, you've got to remember, some of them are only, the blacks are a standard deviation dumber than whites, and the Mexicans are about halfway in between. That's debatable. But, but that said, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you, I would assume always that the difference is underestimated for political reasons. And the more intelligent and the more vicious members of those are going to be able to form some kind of low-level... I mean, it's not all that hard to trade drugs. You know, you get some connections who can supply them, and if you've got the muscle and, and the moxie to, to, to get it distributed and fight off other comers, I mean, that's how it works. And there's a hell of a lot of money, and it's fun. It's not like going and sitting in a cubicle all day. There's actual risk involved, and there's a... You know, you feel like a man. And these are the whole little vignettes that, that our kids are watching. All the kids of white people in this country are watching on, on, on MTV. Uh, you know, they have little scenarios where they'll have a, a drug deal or, or a guy running a stable of, of whorish-looking women in a hotel room. These are the kind of things that they roll over and over 24 hours a day. The, the Jew Murray Rothstein's running this crap. And the thing yeah. is the demographic trends feed that, too, because there's just increasing numbers of blacks. Whites only have a couple of kids in America. But blacks are going to have, you know, three, and Mexicans are probably going to have four. And so as time advances, everything that's mass-aimed is going to be aimed at coloreds because they're the, the mass audience, and the whites may occupy a sliver of the high end, and that's about it. This this term, gang, comes up again. Now let me know if it's used correctly in this instance. Seven known gang, black gang members, have been arrested on suspicion of beating and shouting racial slurs at two white men. Who had left the Compton Courthouse, sheriff officials said Tuesday. The two, who are brothers, told deputies they were walking to their car Monday in a residential neighborhood, sick, when they were confronted by about 15 males, sick, 
shouting gang monikers and racial slurs, Los Angeles County Sheriff's Lieutenant James Helmont said. They had cuts and bruises around their head, face, and arms, and one said he was hit on the back of his head with a blunt instrument, maybe a brick, Helmont said. Is that a gang or is that just tribalism? That's just a normal California citizen. Well, I mean, See, it that, depends. I mean, they're, they're, you know, the, when they got a gang, they're spraying their territorial signs like they're animals and graffiti. And then, but you got the young punk kids coming up who maybe aren't old enough to be into the gang yet who are nevertheless imitating their behavior in a more disorganized and slightly less violent fashion. But yeah, gangs exist. They're real. There's no doubt about it. Spontaneous violence exists also. Just general. <laughs> You know, hating Whitey and making fun of them, since they all recognize the, the culture we live in, uh, encourages that. Their ability to get 10 or, or 12 other males uh, in on the fun, that just boggles my mind. Uh, you know, at the drop of a hat, you'll have 10 show up for a rape or a beating. And this type of activity goes on in Africa on a daily basis. You know, it, it happened Black Hawk Down, if we come back to that story. You had a random mob come out, surround the helicopter, and uh, kill the the soldiers and drag them through the streets, have a big bongo party. Uh, all this without any type of command and control center, you name it. Well, they're doing what comes naturally. But it's not just in Somalia. It, it, it's going on right here, and it's going to continue to go on even worse. It's just at what point greater numbers of whites will begin to react to it. And uh, they can flee. They can build walled compounds, and uh, people can just jump over the walls. Well, it's not a hard problem to identify say. or solve. The difficulty is purely that the people who created this legal and social infrastructure still control things and prevent us from acknowledging it, let alone doing anything about it, and, in fact, actively persecute us for even mentioning it. Exactly. As we discussed earlier. When I was researching, I read, I came across some supposed fact that something like most African women uh, at the age of 30, most of them have been raped. It's that common over there. Whether that's well, what true, a, what about know. this guy, this Kansas guard, J.R. Giddens? Um, isn't he a black success story? Uh, he's, he's one of maybe the 0.001% of blacks that have gotten into basketball and uh, are making money or are uh, hanging out with uh, white co-eds uh, on a full ride that every other white working class uh, person has to pay for out the nose. Here we have him in a bar. Right? I don't know, if Shane, have you read up on this? Yes, I read a little bit about it. The young guy was attacked, I guess it was by 10 or 12 Negroes outside the bar, and he was, what, 24 years old, I believe, and uh, he, I guess, phoned into the bar, and, and his girlfriend brought out a knife to him at some point, and uh, he took on uh, 10 or 12 Negroes and uh, slashed uh, Giddens in the femoral artery. I suppose Giddens didn't even know he had one down there, but uh, in war, that's where people get hit a lot, and they die in that, fem that femoral artery hit. And another guy ended up a week in the hospital with surgery, a major surgery. So uh, it looks like they're not even going to prosecute him, and they shouldn't because he was defending himself against 12 baboons. And uh, he did so very uh, adroitly, too. They're, they're calling him a wigger. I haven't seen his picture. I'm going to try to reach him and see what his story is. You know, Cresswell said, I don't know if he was mistaking me for someone else or what, but he said, you got a problem with me? And I said, man, I ain't got a problem with you, but whatever. And the confrontation escalated. A security guard escorted Cresswell outside. That's Later, Cresswell outside. <laughs> yeah, Cresswell, right. Later, Cresswell said he was standing near the front door when he saw Giddens come around in the corner and said Giddens began screaming in his direction. And he's he still a member of the team. They're not going to throw him off the team. Nothing, no, no problem there. So it, it ended up ten people attacking this one guy, Cresswell. And they were all more or less of coal color complexion, ten athletes uh, from the basketball team and uh, other sports stars, Kansas uh, U University. Yeah, the type shown to your, your kid as, as some kind of hero to emulate, back support and waste your life thinking about They're monkeys. So they ought to mention on, on the East Band so that all the, the, the whites can uh, say, right on, right on, Giddens, you're our man. You know, look at uh, look at uh, Illinois was in the final this year in the NCAA, and who's uh, one of their main players was a guy who'd uh, believe he either beat the hell out of someone or, or raped the woman. Uh, Luther Head, I think was his name, and uh, and yeah, they let him back in the team, and uh, oh, I can't recall the, quite the details, but it was something. It was that bad. Yeah, you know, they don't care. 
AlexNewNation.com, he's got a whole page on uh, sports hero felons, uh, rapists, and uh, his sports page is quite quite luminous. Well, I think we could say the knife saved this uh, guy Cresswell's life, and for anybody listening here, I'd like to suggest the forum called SelfDefenseForums.com. That's SelfDefenseForums.com. There you can read up on different ways to protect yourself uh, within this dismal TNB-inspired society that we have to deal with on a daily basis. The vast majority of whites are very frightened of these tribal uh, attacks, and well, they should be because, first of all, they're outnumbered, and secondly, if you carry a weapon, unless you have a license to carry, you're going to be prosecuted and go to prison for defending yourself. Alex and I have talked about all the Jews in law schools, and these are the exact people who will be saying what in, in court from the bench and, and from the prosecution table, what, what, what a bad person you are because uh, you broke the law and defended yourself from, from, from two or three or eight or 12 attackers. But while the court understands that you had to do this, the fact is you broke the law. Yeah, today, more or less, you have to wait till that first brick hits your skull before you can uh, even respond. But uh, being prepared, I think, uh, can save your life these days. Well, uh, I wanted to hear some from uh, Craig about uh, his firsthand reporting on uh, the situation out in West Virginia and kind of use this as an instructive example for those of you in rural America who watch MTV and think, oh, goody, the niggers are coming to my community. And they are. Uh, but it might not end up where you think it will. Uh, can you tell us a little about that, Craig? Yes. Huntington is a city of 50,000 people, and it's on the border of Ohio. And what happened is, is uh, these orangutans come down from Detroit, a city which looks like bombed-out Lebanon at its very worst. They crossed the entire state of Ohio. They could stop in Cleveland, which is chock full of niggers, and sell their crack there, except the market's oversaturated. And also, they, they, they can't fuck the little white girls. What they do is they go down there, these good-looking white girls and uh, these kids down there in West Virginia. I talked to the um, Captain Stephen Hall, who's in charge, I guess, of the Huntington investigation of this quadruple murder. In this case, they went down there, and there were two uh, kids. Uh, one of them was named Poston, was her surname, and uh, I talked also to her uncle. But the long and the short, she was killed on prom night while her date took her to uh, this nigger's house, Dante Ward's house. And then he was a known associate, I guess I should say, of these these crack sellers. And he had been shot February 7th himself in the hand and the arm. And you should see his funeral, you know. They have the Paul Bears there, and they're wearing T-shirts and the hats twisted on. It just looks like an MTV. In fact, MTV should have been there. You hear that, Murray? Murray Rostown, you fucking Jew. Why don't you go down there and film how the goddamn nigger a funeral looks worse than, you know, Mick Jagger jumping around some New Orleans funeral. It gets me going a little bit because this little girl's 16 years old, and uh, all she did was go to her boyfriend. Who knows if they were buying crack? Nobody knows. But the point is, is they they're with this nigger, and uh, Steve Hall told me the captain uh, he had said uh, they're in the wrong place at the wrong time. This is a stock answer. I guess they should have knew. They should have knew uh, where they were. Huh? Yeah, the wrong place, wrong time, or uh, you know, they have all these other uh, Jewy statements. But I did ask uh, Steve Hall, I said, in that case, could that mean right in front of Dante Ward? And he says, yeah, I said, I guess you could take it that way. And then uh, since then, I see he's come out and said, uh, uh, he said he's sick of it. They're coming down here with our people. He was quoted in the press a few days after I talked to him. So I thought, you know what, maybe just by my talking to this guy and, and uh, telling him I'm from Vanguard Radio and Vanguard News Network, maybe that caused him to buck up just a little bit and say, I'm going to refer to our people and, he, and that he's sick of it. But everyone should visualize this. These niggers cross the entire state of Ohio from north to south. They hop in their nigger mobiles, their, their pimp mobiles. Uh, that's another MTV show. Then they drive down there and they sell their crack at a high margin to these white kids. You know, the unemployment rate in that, that part of West Virginia is very high. And Hall told me that they arrest more uh, uh, blacks doing this. That's the term he used. And then whites. And now you have to consider, in the entire state of West Virginia, it's 96% white. So we know what the now, problem is. Now, Craig, these interviews that you've conducted, uh, including some with relatives of the murdered white girl mm-hmm. and with the uh, police chief, these are online, right? Yeah, they're online on the main page. Stan's put them up there on the main page of so Govian. You can, hear first, you can hear this yourself firsthand and hear how they react. And here, didn't one of them hang up on you? Yeah, you know, you know who that was? That was uh, Dr. Karen Oldham at Hun- Huntington High. I think I have her phone number, and in fact, I'm uh-huh. sure I do, in her email somewhere. What if anybody wants to call her up? Say that caused her to hang up, Greg. Well, she didn't like the fact that I pointed out to her that the federal government, the FBI, on their website, and the United States Department of Justice, particularly the latter, explicitly states that niggers are seven times as likely as whites to commit murder. 
So that means that, that since they're 13% of the population, if, if there were an equal number of, of blacks and whites in this country, they'd be committing 90% of the murders. It's, it's just disgusting. And so if these kids were taught that in their a sociology class or whatever, you know, if we had a white, if we had a white society, we'd teach them. If they were bordering us, like just like the State Department issues. Remember, on a previous Goy fire, said the State Department said there had been 32 uh, murders and kidnappings uh, right on the border yeah. area with Mexico in the past uh, eight months. So that's one a week. Well, we should be warning our, our kids, and instead. Uh, we're paying our cable services to have the Jew Murray Rothstein. I know it seems like I'm obsessed with that. And, and you know what? I am. Uh, to broadcast this filth into our kids, and, and the kids are being taught by Jews to say, oh, it's great stuff. Let me take a slightly well, different angle on that and tell us some more. But, uh, you know, the ADL puts out a report on anti-Semitism in America every year. And, you know, whether it's up or down, you know, the report is basically picked up by every paper in the country. And what do they have to show for anti-Semitism? they got like 10 graffiti scrawlings. Well, what about a crime like this is worse than any anti-Semitic act, as they call it, uh, that happened in the U.S. in the last year, and it won't make it, you know, barely outside of Virginia or outside of West Virginia. And, and this is 10 times worse than anything that's happening to Jews. And it's utterly predictable violence against whites by the blacks who have been loosed on white society by these same Jews whining about graffiti. Didn't you hear that we were deconstructed? We, white, whites don't exist, according to uh, uh, well, that Jew in Harvard. I hear that, but I refuse to accept it. Yeah. Clint you know, Post. Whites don't exist. Well, I've, I've lived around niggers. I mean, uh, <laughs> sure made me conscious I wasn't a nigger. I don't emit words from somewhere deep in my throat without any consonants in them. That's another nigger behavior. I don't, you know, wash my car 85 times out in the street with my radio turned up, and I don't loose my pit bull and let it, you know, hop over fences and bite other dogs. Uh, you know, all, all common nigger behavior. They're fucking apes. No one likes them. Everybody basically feels... And I, there's another point to be made about that, because I listen to Change Report. Okay, what you got is a, a prom night. You got two white kids, and they go with this kid who's basically liked by a lot of a lot of the white kids named Andre Ward. They go back to his place just to stop. Apparently, he was involved with these niggers from Detroit, and they killed him, and they killed the white kids because they were witnesses. So all you out there who think, oh, well, my little Jamie or Jason or Jeffrey are hanging out with just a wonderful little coon. He's not like all the others. Well, they all say that. Just like they said that about Brian Nichols, you know, because he's, he's rich, he comes from a good background, he's a good Christian man, he goes to church all the time and plays instruments. Well, that's how they end up just the same. Even if the nigger really is a good nigger, the rare good nigger, he's got nigger friends. And this kind of thing happens all the time, and you don't hear about it, except here on Goyfire. So you listen to those. Those interviews are online. We got them on the forum. We got them on the main page at govnn.com or vanguardnewsnetwork.com. Those are two URLs for the same site. Uh, you get on there and listen. We're getting into firsthand reporting and all this stuff because it's too outrageous to leave all the primary stuff to the Jews and just kibitz about it and comment on it after the fact. We're going to actually create this news ourselves. The mayor of Huntington looks to me like he's a Baltimore Jew, and I'm going to ring him up uh, in due time, find out if he is or not. But they had another case uh, about a year ago. I believe she was a white woman. Uh, she had four children, and she got involved with, 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 a, with a boon, and uh, she got shot in the neck and murdered. And first she got addicted to crack cocaine. She had been an honor student, too, like this Poston girl. And Poston's uncle, Clint, told me he'd had a very close relationship with her because I guess her dad was a trucker, and so he's 40. Yeah. And the night she went to the prom, this is really compelling emotionally for me, she was all dressed up, and like a lot of girls, you know, girls want to be get their attention. She said, I feel beautiful tonight. And he said, uh, you look beautiful. It reminded, reminded me of the uh, Eric Clapton song, you look, you look wonderful tonight. That was her last night of life. Right. I didn't leave civil learn rights that. Means two dead white kids in West Virginia for no reason. That's what civil rights means. Yeah. Yeah. No, no I, I don't remember learning about it in history class. How did segregation break down again? Who, who was responsible? Felix Frankfurter twisted arms in the Brown versus Board court decision to get them to base uh, their decision on this bogus sociology of this, this, uh, this nigger sociologist who just died the other day. And uh, basically all they did was it was a pure power play. They decided to ignore legal precedent that had stood for decades and simply declare that blacks couldn't get a decent, equal education without being shoved in with whites. The mission was never to give blacks a good education. It was always to damage and destroy the white community 
just as the abolitionists never gave a damn about black people. All they cared about was destroying the South, destroying the class of white people they hated. Okay. Alex, please explain why, why Jews feel more comfortable in a multi-cult society again. Because uh, newcomers to the whole concept, to, to our polemics, don't understand that. The Jewish mind is perfectly displayed on TV, and that, that's something you shouldn't watch, but we, we have all seen TV, and it's a common reference point. They want everybody to be promiscuous, broken down, and basically they want loose. They want a loose society where there's all kinds of freaks, and society looks like the bar scene in Star Wars. They feel safer there because it gives them camouflage. Otherwise, if you have a tight authoritarian, say, Muslim or strongly religious or Christian or Catholic community, they stick out, right, like the, like the sore thumb. They don't want to be a visible minority. What they want to do is control it without appearing to control it. So they keep, like, the facade of the, the WASP elite in front of them, someone like Bush, but they're the ones writing all the policy papers. They're the ones setting the agenda. And so that's why they were the ones who worked for the 65 Immigration Reform Act that switched our immigration from 90% European to 90% non-European. So they bring in all these other colored people, and they, they kind of elect a new, against the will of the American, the voting majority. That's what's so funny. They always talk about democracy, but the people never wanted to mix with Mexico. But the Jews have decided it's in their own interest to do that. So they, they squeezed through uh, the civil rights in the 60s and also the immigration reform, thereby loosing blacks and browns and, and bringing in new numbers of them and mixing them with the white communities, thereby putting more and more ground off limits to whites and making it harder for whites to breed. And subspecies of animals do not exist in the same area. One of them drives out the other. So that the best definition of like integration is of you know, the time between when the first black family moves in and when the last white family leaves. The bad drives out the good. And the Jews know this, and they are, in, they are strengthened. They don't suffer under the same affirmative action that you listening to this and, and, and I do because they have most of the slots at the top schools among the teachers also. They make sure that they are exempted from these affirmative actions. Those only affect you know, white working classes. Uh, the, the elite have their own rules, and the, the Jews are extremely, Jews are about half the elite. The Jews are your enemy what it amounts to. Politically, they're your enemy, and they, they know that they're basically eating us. We're providing a carcass for Jews and minorities to feast on. All right, well, speaking of which, we have uh, the hate model, which is uh, an article from the FBI Law Enforcement Bulletin, March 2003, which outlines uh, that very dubious term, hate and how it is applied to white nationalism and uh, political thought uh, in, in general. I don't know if you guys have read this uh, in detail or read up on this in detail, but it's more or less an analysis of, of hate and why it's a, a bad, bad thing in America. Read some of it. Let's hear what it says. Let, 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 let's hear exactly what our government says. Out, out. It starts out with a definition of hate, in case you were wondering, and I quote, Hate, a complex subject indeed, divides into two general categories, rational and irrational. Unjust acts inspire rational hate. Hatred of a person based on race, religion, sexual orientation, ethnicity, or national origin constitute irrational hate. Maybe we should stop right there. Yeah, they, they neatly define resistance to their agenda out of existence and into the realm of uh, medical problems, pathology. You're morally evil or you're medically diseased if you oppose the Jewish agenda. Oh, and they'll sell you drugs. They, what they wanted to do for a lot of years was simply get a racism declared a psychological disease, and then you, and you'll, the Jews will be reimbursed through the government for determining that you're... It's not like most of what they run in society isn't like that already. They're, they're famous for inventing problems and then selling expensive solutions. It's a complete joke. Well, the FBI is supposed to be an investigative body, right? And it's supposed to be neutral and fair and impartial, but it's got these clowns, these, these kikes setting the agenda for it, saying that we're the haters because we resent the inevitable result of these reforms the Jews have brought that aren't reforms at all but are enslavements of the white population. Who says what's hate? Well, the Jew does. You never see a Jew called a hater. You never see a Jewish group called a hate group. You never see a bunch of Jews called terrorists. 
you only see it applied to people that the Jews hate themselves. And so that shows you where the real power lies. And the FBI, just, you know, good old boys, half of them are good old boys or accountants or whatever. They follow along. What do they care? They're so funny. You read the books written by them. They're talking about how much integrity they have and how much they support the Constitution. They don't know a damn thing about the Constitution. I mean, this guy is talking to Chain, and he's, well, you know, the Constitution's colorblind. Uh, you know, all men are created equal. And uh, you're like, well, how did the slaves feel about that? Why don't you ask the slaves how they felt about all men being created equal? The founders were racialists. They weren't individualists like the libertarians gloss over. They were utter okay. racialists, exactly like we are. Well, catch this. This is a very Jewish statement here I just uh, came across. With respect to rational hate, haters do not focus as much on the wrong done to them or others, but rather on their own, get this, helplessness, guilt, or inability to affect change. The object of rational hate often is despised or pitied. In the same way, irrational hate elevates the hater above the hated. Many insecure people feel a sense of self-worth by regulating a person or group of people to a lower status. There they're making fun of whites not having the tribal sense that Jews and, and, and uh, Negroes do. So that's what that is. They know full well that we're not oriented that way, and, and hopefully something within our beings will uh, manifest before we're obliterated in our own homelands. So you know, what? They, they know that Solzhenitsyn said they'd come in the middle of the night and wake people up, and, and it's going to get that to that point in this country. Solzhenitsyn wrote about it, and that's what the Jews would do. They come in the middle of the night and wake people up, so they'd be completely startled as to what it was. And then they'd haul him off on a medical pretext. Now, he doesn't know how to get along. He has some mental problems, and that's it. They've already made a lot of progress in Canada. We've talked about that on previous Goy fires. In Germany, they control the laws about uh, speech. How about we have a white campaign nationwide and to say because the Jews killed so many people in the Ukraine and the Gulag, we have to monitor their speech worldwide, and particularly in Israel, because in Israel that's where they've uh, done some of their worst damage uh, in, in their uh, the massacre at Tantor, the one Sharon was involved in. Uh, so therefore, the white people worldwide must begin to regulate the Jews' speech within Israel because that's where the, the, the fount of the hatred comes from. How about that? Well, let's just do a flip-flop yeah, they've got on nuclear them. weapons, too. Yeah, they do. You never hear it put like that, but, I mean, these, these Jews in America who are putting out this tripe are the relatives of the ones in the Soviet Union that killed more people than anybody in history. And they, they killed whole classes of people because they didn't like them. They were their political enemies. The Jewish goal is always to basically decapitate the nation in which they live and themselves replace it as kind of the brains and the leaders, and then they... They get all the benefits. They're catered to like a queen termite, and the rest of them are just workers and drones. And they decapitated Poland, and they decapitated the Balt Baltic states as much as they could when their people took power. Yeah, they, 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 want to, they want to get rid of independent centers of power, and they do that by trying to get the, get the money from the landed estates and try to uh, destroy the minds of people by introducing you know, anti-intellectual education like we have today, where education is all attitude adjustment, where it's how you feel. You're, Here's how you're supposed to feel about homos. Here's how you're supposed to feel about priests. And here's how you're supposed to feel about a whole checklist of people. And if you have the right attitude, then good. That's all you need to know. Then you can press, you know, hamburger or cheeseburger. And, and, they're, and you'll fit in. They'll be the lawyers and they'll be the writers and they'll be the judges and they'll be the politicians. And, and you know, the rest isn't for you to worry about. So that's their plan for you, to live in a deracinated one-world state where they're the only nation left. And uh, they do all the thinking. Now, this one sounds like this came straight from the lunchroom, uh, a lunchroom experience. The group establishes an identity using symbols and behaviors. They use a lifted eyebrow, a code word, to exclude the hated co-worker from a lunch invitation or any number of other actions to demean and isolate. I'm not making this up. Yeah, this is, this is put up by our government, right? No, it could be I mean, the SPLC. Well, I'm, well, yeah, thinking, I mean, it, yeah. I'm thinking this was, a, this was an affirmative action um, specialist put on the case. But th this is a couple of, like, supposed experts who are creating policy for our federal police. Groups that hate whites are training the police to go after. They're at the political enemies who are basically the white race and anyone who sticks up for it or doesn't want to be molded into this new world. That's what's going on, and they pay these guys all kinds of money, and they indoctrinate them, and they feed them information. They get them to call up, you know, people like Craig, and why are you posting photos? 
Why are they posting photos of us? Why are they calling us haters? We didn't start You know, coincidentally, they're, they're also doing it to leftists, you guys. And uh, when they do, uh, as you both know, and some of our listeners probably know, maybe not all of them think about it, but whenever they have an anti-war demonstration for any war, now in the case of the Iraq war, that is a Zionist war, so it's creating problems for the Jews because a lot of leftists are recognizing Zionism as a racist system. But the FBI has also begun of late, and there have been articles on it, a lot of them online, by, by major news orgs, and the FBI is dropping in on these leftists before the demonstrations. And in this country, they can turn out literally millions. I mean, we're just nothing in terms of uh, the, the power structure that these leftists have because leftism is popular, and it's what is expected of the kids. But So anyway, they drop in. They say, oh, we understand you're organizing for a demonstration. And, and it's just a little technique to uh, intimidate people, scare them. Am I going to prison? Have I said too much? You know, is, this, if, is what I'm saying protected by the First Amendment? So it's just a, a frightening technique that they're using. And in that case, they, they use it to support the Zionist wars. Because if these whites don't go over there and die for Iraq, you know, they have rolling thunder today. It ought to be called rolling blunder in D.C. Yeah. I mean, imagine this guy's being paid by the state to call up a reporter and ask him questions about why he's got a photograph. Do they call up Pinchy Salzberger or Michael yeah, Isakoff of Newsweek? They, did yeah, they, did they go and investigate Michael Isakoff and said, we've heard about you from the SPLC, Michael. And then there was, there was this matter of these uh, three dozen people that got injured and uh, 20 that got murdered in Afghanistan because of your article. Did they visit him for that? I wonder. Yeah. Well, you'll have well, to ask Mo Seligman-Dees. Yeah. Well, they might very well have because he uh, retracted his story pretty quick. Somebody no, pulled the chain. He didn't do it pretty quick. As a matter of fact, they stood on it for, I think, somewhere between 24 hours and a day and a half. Uh, on that note, I think we're through our TNB. We're through the hate model. Uh, unless someone else wants to comment. Otherwise, uh, we'll do closing statements. And, um, Alex, you have any closing comments? Uh, Chain's been doing some really wonderful work, and as Vanguard Radio breaks into first-hand reporting, he's got posted interviews with the people in West Virginia related to, these, uh, related to the story about these two white kids being shot as witnesses after the prom. White kids associated with the black. We've got uh, his interview with Lance. The blue flamer who uh, keeps tabs on chain and which photos he's posting. Uh, <laughs> it's funny if you want to get a sense of how the FBI thinks and operates, and uh, they have a very weak grasp of the Constitution or the context it came out of. Nevertheless, of course, they feel they're doing the Lord's work in suppressing hate. I'll tell you what, you listen to this, you guys who think you're going to call us haters, we're going to dig to the bottom of it, and we're going to find out just what the SPLC and homosexual Modis knew and when he knew it about what went on in Oklahoma and we're going to blast it from the goddamn rooftops. So, Mo, you better hope that you didn't know about that Oklahoma City bombing before it happened. I got a feeling you did. I think you did know. And I think that the FBI knew also. And if you think we're going to back off one damn inch, we're not. We're going to keep advancing. We're going to keep talking to people. We're going to expand the number of shows we have. We're going to expand the number of uh, people who are listening to us. And I'll tell you what, Lance, the old blue flamer, we're going to post any goddamn picture we want because we're free. We're not a punk like you, and we're not a punk faggot like Modis. I'm getting riled up. You fuckers are way, way, way over on my turf, and it's time for you to turn around and scurry your little fairy asses out of here. Who's the good guys? We We are are the the good good guys. guys. Yeah. Believe it or not. All right. Well, thanks for listening, Stan. Thanks for putting the show out. And uh, until next time, America, we're wishing you the best of goodbyes. The Aryan Alternative, news and views for whites you won't find anywhere else. The Aryan Alternative is a print publication of uncensored news for whites. Issue 2 is available now. Be the first in your neighborhood to distribute news without the Jews by ordering 100 copies for $12 through the Vanguard News Network. Visit GoVNN.com for ordering information. The Aryan Alternative and the Vanguard News Network. No Jews, just right. Vanguard Radio for the precious 8%.